0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is uh, Reggie, and I've been given the task this morning of, um, of speaking from God's Word. And so as we get started, let me just say um, thank you guys for being here this morning. This is a holiday weekend, and you could have chosen to do any number of things over the course of this weekend, but uh, you chose to be here this morning to hopefully meet with God. And uh, over the next few minutes, we're going to look at God's Word And what God has to say to us specifically from Mark chapter 2. And so I pray that you would um, hear the truth of the gospel um, through what is going to be spoken this morning. So as we get started, uh, let me pray for us and we'll move on from there. Holy Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be together in your presence this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Thank you that you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you. And so, God, as we look at your word, specifically at Mark chapter 2, God, I pray that in the process of that, that you would draw us to yourself. I pray that you would remind us of your grace and your love. God, I pray as I stand on this stage that the words I speak would be Your words. God, I understand that what I have to say is of no importance at all. But God, what Your Word would say to us, what You would say to us, is of utmost importance. And so God, I pray that we would hear from You and You alone this morning. God, I pray that You would simply use me as an instrument of Your grace and mercy, an instrument of Your love, an instrument of the Gospel, that Christ might be exalted and that we might be drawn to You. And God, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So, as we get started this morning, let me ask you guys a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've desperately had a need of some sort? Has there ever been a time where you've needed something? Maybe a financial need, maybe a relational need, an emotional need, a physical need of healing whatever it may be, a need to be accepted or appreciated, a need to be loved. Or or maybe on a much more um, real level, have you ever experienced the need, right, I just need to pay my bills this month, I I just need to pay the rent. We've probably all been there at some point in our life, and this word need and the idea of wanting has shaped us in ways that we probably don't even understand, probably more than we realize we... Use this word need and want often, daily. But, but what is it that we really need? And I hope that's what God's Word will point out to us this morning in Mark chapter 2. If you have children that you have to care for, or, or, or maybe another person in your life that you care for, maybe even a pet, the, the concept of need takes on a whole different meaning when you're thinking about someone else. I have two girls. I have a nine-year-old girl and a seven-year-old girl. And the other night at the dinner table, uh, I looked up at the girls and I said, hey, Natalie and Laurel, I want you girls to tell me what it is that you think you most need in life. And so about that time, Amy, my wife, turns and looks at me and she goes, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just asking them a question. And Amy goes, this is going to be a sermon illustration, isn't it? And I said, yes. But anyway, so I asked my girls, what is it that you most need in life? What is it that you most want? When I asked Natalie, my nine-year-old, what do you most need in life? She said, I don't need anything. I, I have everything I need. But I really want some American Girl stuff, American Girl doll stuff. And I really want to be a cheerleader. And I was like, well, we've got to talk about this cheerleader thing. American Girl dolls okay. Cheerleader, that's another subject altogether. And so then I turned to my seven-year-old, Laurel, and I said, Laurel, what do you most need in life? And she goes, I need a horse, and I need a stable, and I need a saddle for that horse, and I need people to take care of that horse, and I need riding lessons, and I need everything else that comes with a horse, and I need some American Girl all stuff too. But as a parent, my concept of what they need is completely different than their concept of what they need, right? And, and it should be what they need and what they want. I I think my daughters need food and clothing and shelter and safety and protection. I I think my daughters need to know that I love them. I I tell my daughters often that there's nothing you could ever do to make me stop loving you. you. You may see me angry, but there's nothing you can do that will ever make me stop loving you. And they need to know that. They need to know the grace of God in their lives. They need to hear the Gospel spoken over them. They need an identity that's grounded in the Gospel. As two young girls growing up in a culture and a society that often objectifies women, I want them to have an identity that's found and rooted in Christ and in what they mean to a loving, holy, heavenly Father. I don't want their identity to be made in the image of our culture and our media. I want their identity to be rooted in the Gospel. Right? That's what they need. That's what I think they need anyway. Being a cheerleader, having some American girls' doll stuff, that's that's great. That's not what they need. And we, we're often like little children when it comes to Jesus. We want a Savior who is going to give us what we want when we want it. Who is going to leave alone the things that we want left alone. But who's going to give us things that will make us happy sort of like Santa Claus does. And oftentimes, when we look at Jesus, we expect Him to do those things. He he better do those things. But that's not really the Jesus we need, nor is it really the Jesus that we find in Scripture. In Mark chapter 2, where we're going to be looking this morning, Jesus encounters this man with a very real physical need. Something that He could not overcome on His own. And Jesus changes the game on him. He looks down into the depths of this man's soul. And Jesus understood his deepest needs. And even though in this passage we see Jesus healing this man's body, that's not where Jesus started. When He finally did raise him up to walk again, He did so with a purpose. And there was a meaning behind it. But before He ever got to that point, Jesus looked at this man And gave him something he needed that this guy probably didn't even realize. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, if you want to turn there. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The story in Mark chapter 2 is a story that I first heard when I was in vacation Bible school as a kid. Does everybody know what vacation Bible school is? When I was a kid, that was my only real concept of church until I was about nine years old. It was really the only time I went to church except... For on special occasions. And I remember this story from Vacation Bible School, and it's intrigued me ever since. It's an interesting story. Um, And before we dive into it specifically, let me set the concept or or the context uh, of what's going on. In Mark chapter 1, Mark has presented to us Jesus as God in the flesh. Jesus has um, been going around already in Mark chapter 1, already proclaiming who he is. Already preaching God's Word, already healing people by the time we get to Mark chapter two. and Mark has shown his readers both the authority possessed by Jesus and um, the authority and the, the, um, the authority possessed by Jesus and Jesus' willingness to proclaim who He is through healing, through preaching, um, through all these things. And so specifically when you get to Mark chapter two, uh, at verse one through Mark three. Um, there are five instances where Jesus does things or says things that creates controversy. This is the first of those that we see in Mark. And very specifically, Jesus creates controversy by saying to this guy, your sins are forgiven. And uh, immediately before this story in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1 closes with Jesus healing this person that has leprosy. And through that healing, Jesus' fame begins to grow. And so at the beginning of Mark chapter 2, Jesus has made His way back to Capernaum. um, What had become probably a home base for Jesus, and He might have been in a home of a family member, maybe a home of one of His disciples. We don't really know. But we know that people have found Him, and He's inside this home, and there are people all around Him, gathered around, listening to what Jesus has to say. It says that Jesus is preaching. Preaching. And the people have flocked to hear Him. Both religious leaders, because we hear about the scribes in a minute, and just people who are interested in finding out who this Jesus is and what He's about. And we don't really know what Jesus is preaching in the passage. It doesn't tell us. If I had to guess, Jesus is probably proclaiming who He is and connecting Himself to the Old Testament fulfillment of the Messiah. Specifically, that's what He does in verse 5, right? Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I I am He who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And that's essentially what Jesus says to the paralytic when he's lowered through the ceiling. And so, we're introduced to these four guys, right? There's a big crowd. They can't get into Jesus. It's obvious why they've shown up. They want Jesus to do something for their friend, and they can't get to Him. We don't know what caused His paralysis. We don't know what caused Him to suffer physically in this way. But His friends have brought Him to Jesus and they can't get to Him. So it says that they go up on the roof. Now as a kid, my concept of a roof was just a house, right? You know, with shingles, whatever. Their roof was probably a little different. Maybe like a thatched roof with um, mud covering it or something like that. It would have been normal for the roof of their homes to be used for various activities, eating, sleeping, putting out laundry to dry, any number of things. But, but the point here is that these men get up on the roof of the house with their friend who is paralyzed, and the, the, the literal Greek that's used here says that they begin to unroof the roof. So they begin to disassemble the roof, whatever it is. They're digging, they're cutting, they're whatever but they're getting through this roof. And and can you imagine being in the room when bits and pieces of the roof start to fall? Right? Because they're tearing apart a roof. They're digging through a roof to get to Jesus. And Jesus is down in the home and He's preaching, and there's probably little pieces of mud, little pieces of grass, straw, thatched roof, whatever falling all around. I, I'm just curious as to what Jesus did. Did He just keep talking? Did people look up and say... Hey, guys, stop. This, this is my house. Why are you messing up my roof? I don't know, but these men are persistent. And as Jesus is preaching, they unroof the roof in order to get the guy down into Jesus. I, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody starts cutting through the ceiling while I'm up here preaching, it's going to get a little weird, Right? but yet these men are persistent and somehow get this guy down to Jesus. And as he's lowered in, in front of Jesus, as Jesus sees him lying on a mat, Jesus looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now now stay with me on this, right? If you had shown up to see Jesus with a very specific need to be healed, and then Jesus did something else entirely, what would your reaction to be? It would be like you coming to me saying, I'm hungry, I need a loaf of bread, and me giving you a high five. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. And yet, that's what happens. This guy is lower down in front of Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, Son... Your sins are forgiven. Every single person there who saw this guy affected by paralysis being lowered down through the ceiling knew exactly why the guy was present. And you know what? They may have even expected Jesus to heal him because Jesus had already been doing that in Mark chapter 1. And instead... Jesus looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. It, it's really an extraordinary moment. Because what Jesus was saying to this man is this. You think you know what your main problem is. You think you know what needs you have. You think you know what you need from me, but you're not even begin to grasp it. Jesus is saying, you think you know the main problem of your life, but you don't. Your problem is not your paralysis. It's your guilt. Now, let's get real for a second. How disappointing would that be in the moment? In actuality, it's somewhat offensive. Because this guy had probably said to himself over and over, if only I could walk. If only I had the use of my legs, then my life would be okay. If only I could walk, everything would be okay. I I would be happy. I would be complete. I would never have anything to complain about again. And Jesus looks at this guy and says, you're wrong. You think your greatest need is to walk again, but it's not. Because in a few months maybe, in a few years, you'd find other reasons to be unhappy. You'd find other reasons to be incomplete. And your needs would change from wanting to walk again to something else entirely. Now, I don't in any way mean to demean um, or disregard or minimize the pain and heartache of those who are physically disabled by saying that. Obviously, if I were in the same position as this guy, being lowered in through the ceiling, through the roof to get to Jesus, I'd want to be healed too. No doubt about it. If I were in the same position. But my point here is this. My point is that Jesus sees beyond the physical need of this man to the depths of his heart. And says, you think you need to walk again. You don't. You need me. You need to be reconciled to me. You need your sins to be forgiven so that you are reconciled to a holy God. Cynthia Heimel, who is a um, popular writer, wrote a book called "If You Can't Live Without Me, Why Aren't You Dead Yet?" Interesting title. Wrote these words when examining our modern celebrity-obsessed culture, and specifically the words that I'm about to quote to you. She she wrote about certain celebrities who had pursued fame and recognition as a way of pursuing happiness and fulfillment. And when they found celebrity and fame, it wasn't what they expected. She wrote this, all their fantasies have been realized, yet the reality was still the same. If they were miserable before, before, they were twice as miserable now. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes puts it this way, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. How many of you guys remember being 16 years old? Anybody? I just turned 40. So 16 is a long time ago for me. But here's what I do remember about being 16. When you're 16, it really kind of stinks. Right? Because you want to be an adult, you want to be out of high school. At least I did. I wanted nothing more than for high school to be over. When I was 16, I got my driver's license, um, had some issues with my parents. That never happens to anybody else, does it, right? Had some issues with my parents. And um, I remember when I was 16 is when I first started dating Amy, by the way. We started dating when we were 16. Uh, But anyway, I I remember Christmas of the year that I was 16. and, And I remember very distinctly wanting three things when i was 16 i wanted a new pair of cowboy boots that's awesome right yes it is and i wanted a cowboy hat and that's also awesome right yes and i wanted a big black coat and i wanted to wear my cowboy boots and my cowboy hat and my big black coat all at the same time because it was going to make me awesome right when you're 16, you want to fit in, you want to be accepted, you want to be cool, you want everybody to love you, you want to have a place to belong, and in my mind, in my warped 16-year-old immature head, when I put on those cowboy boots, when I put on that cowboy hat and I put on that big black coat, I was going to be awesome, but do you know what happened the first time I put on those cowboy boots and that big black hat and that big black coat and I walked into a basketball game at our school, do you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing changed. I was still the same guy with the same insecurities. I still needed and wanted to be accepted and I wanted people to like me. I wanted to be part of the crowd. I wanted to be cool. But my cowboy boots, my big black coat and my cowboy hat, despite the fact that they were awesome, did nothing to help me achieve that goal. Uh, Are you with me? We all think we know ourselves, our real problems and our real needs. We all have these lists of things that are going to make life okay. When I was 16, it was cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. Looking back on it, that's absolutely ridiculous. But for those of us who are a little older, maybe success in business, maybe marriage, maybe children, maybe achieving a certain standard of living, having a big enough bank account, having the admiration of our peers, achieving some business goal, whatever it is, we all have these lists of things that are going to make life okay. But Jesus is crazy enough to look at a paralyzed man And to look at us and to say, you think you know what your greatest needs are, but you have no clue. Your greatest needs are to be reconciled to me. Your greatest needs are to have your sins forgiven. Your greatest need is to have a right relationship with Christ. Jesus looks at this guy and says, I know you. I know your real problems, your real needs. And they have nothing to do with you being able to walk or not. The real problem that we have is that we're building our lives and our identity on on things that we hope will become saviors for us. Whatever they might be, the things I mentioned. We're building our lives and our identity on functional saviors. If I can just achieve this, if I can just get to this point, if I can just look like this person, everything would be Okay, if Jesus were in this building this morning and He would give you whatever you wanted, what would you tear through the roof to ask Him for? Jesus, fix this thing and everything in my life will be okay. I'll never be unhappy again. Just give me this one thing and I will always be content. But Jesus wants you to know that He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your problems, and He knows your real needs. And He is the Savior you need, not anything else. You see, the truth about Jesus is exactly that. Jesus knows exactly what we need, and Jesus gives His children exactly what they need. This man needed forgiveness so that he could be rightly reconciled to God, and that's what Jesus Gave him. That's what we all need most of all. More than anything else that we need, we need a relationship with Christ. Forgiveness of sins is more than simply removal of guilt. When Jesus looks at this guy and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. He's doing more than forgiving sins. He's reconciling this person to God. But that leads me to ask this question. Why would Jesus forgive the sins of a man who didn't ask for forgiveness? Jesus saw knew that he needed forgiveness, but why would Jesus just offer that forgiveness when the man maybe had not even realized it yet, right? Over and over, the Scripture calls us to confess our sins. When we do so, Scripture tells us that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. In Psalm chapter 32, David says, "...when I kept silent, my bones wasted away." that I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This man was lowered into the room in front of Jesus, and Jesus forgave him. I I don't think it's any real mystery why. I I think that Jesus, and I think that Mark tells us that Jesus saw something here. Mark, it, it specifically says that Jesus saw their faith. The faith of the guys who were lowering Him into the room the faith of the man to have his friends do that and Jesus saw more in this man's faith than a desire to be healed of paralysis i think he saw a recognition from this guy that Jesus was the right place to come to have his needs met to have his needs met maybe the guy didn't understand what his needs were but at least he understood i needed to get to Jesus and i think Jesus sees that and sees his faith. And maybe his faith was overshadowed by his desire to be healed, but it was there. And Jesus saw it. And Jesus offered tremendous grace. That's what Jesus does. He offers His grace aggressively. He knows what we need. He wants to give it to us. And He aggressively offered it to the guy in this passage. There's this great scene In this book called Les Mis, maybe you've heard about it. Les Mis has been turned into a musical, into a movie. It's the story of Jean Valjean. If I could sing, I'd I'd just break out in song right now, but I can't. There's this great scene in the book or movie or musical, whatever you're familiar with, where Jean Valjean has spent 19 years in prison doing hard labor because he had stolen some food. This was in pre-revolutionary France is where the the book is set. And he had stole some food to feed his sister's child. It's been almost 20 years in prison. He's been released. And Jean Valjean is given the opportunity to stay one night with a priest. And over the course of this night, he realizes that he can steal some silverware, still. Some silverware from the priest, and he takes off um, without anybody knowing with that silverware in order to steal it and to have some money to, to eventually sell it and to have some money. the The next morning, the priest realizes that the silverware is gone, that Jean Valjean is gone, and as he sits down to eat, I, I think that's the setting. As he sits down to eat, some um, some police or constables or whoever it was bring Jean Valjean back to the priest. And they ask him, they say, essentially, um, this guy told us that you said he could have the silverware. Uh, Do you want to prosecute him? Do you want to do whatever? And rather than seeking punishment, the priest looks at Jean Valjean and says, ah, here you are. He exclaimed looking at Jean Valjean. I am glad to see you. Well, well, but how is this? I, I gave you the candlesticks too, which are of silver like the rest, and for which you can certainly get 200 francs, why did you not carry them away with your forks and your spoons? And Jean Valjean opened his eyes wide and stared at the venerable bishop with an, with an expression which no human tongue can render any account of. It's aggressive grace. It's a picture of, of aggressive grace, just like the grace Jesus offered to this man. This is a pivotal scene in this book because Jean Valjean is forever changed by an encounter with grace and forever changed by an encounter with forgiveness. He didn't ask for it. He certainly didn't deserve it. But he was given grace nonetheless. This man in Mark chapter 2 did not ask for grace but at least He knew to come to Jesus. And Jesus recognized His need for reconciliation. Jesus recognized His faith and offered Him some very bold and aggressive grace because that's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus is about. From there in the story, we read about what happened a few seconds ago, a few minutes ago. We, we see Jesus come face to face with these religious leaders who were present but they didn't like what Jesus had to say. They, they recognized very clearly, when Jesus looked at this guy and said, "Your sons are forget, your sins are forget, son, your sins are forgiven," that what Jesus was doing was proclaiming his own di- divinity. And in that moment, they, they realized, the people present realized that Jesus was either blaspheming against God, he was claiming to be God, or he was just crazy. And they went the route that this man is blaspheming God. They were left with the choice and they chose to believe that Jesus was not who he was claiming to be. Because they understood clearly what Jesus was saying to this man. Jesus was saying, all of your sins have been against me. I am not just your healer. I am God. I am your Savior, and I am your Lord. Jesus goes on to provoke these religious leaders in a way that only Jesus can. He says to them, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get get up, take your mat, and walk? And He turns to the man who had been just given the thing he needed most, forgiveness and reconciliation with God, and he gives him what he most wanted to be able to walk. And in the process of doing that, make no mistake about it, Jesus was openly declaring to the world that He was the Messiah, that He was the Savior, that He was God in the flesh, come to bring reconciliation and peace to earth. Here's where let's wrap this up. Let's tie this all together. If you haven't heard anything else from me this morning, and in fact, the only real thing I want you to hear from me this morning, is that Jesus knows your needs better than you ever will. Jesus is the place where you need to come to have those needs met, whatever they are. And most of all, your need is to be rightly reconciled to God. The Jesus you need is not a Savior who does your bidding, who you can turn to and say, Jesus, give me this one thing and everything else will be okay. That is not the Jesus you need. Instead, the Jesus you need is the one who will look at you and say, that's really your problem. You're looking to the wrong place. You're looking to the wrong thing to have your needs met. I am where your needs will be met. The Jesus you need is the one who knows you better than yourself. The Jesus you need is the Jesus who comes at you aggressively with His grace and with His forgiveness. The Jesus you need is the Jesus who loves you enough to say whatever physical needs you have, whatever emotional needs you have, whatever financial needs you have, I may not meet those needs right now. But I will meet your greatest need, your need to be reconciled to me. The Jesus who says, I'm working out good things for you, beautiful things, eternal things, trust me, because I am God. The Jesus you need is the Jesus who is here to bring you reconciliation with God that you could never find on your own. And ultimately, the Jesus you need is the Jesus who is here to bring you peace with God. Colossians one nineteen and 20 puts it this way. Just listen. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Let me read it again. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is here to bring peace to your life by bringing you reconciliation with God. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as the God of the universe who wants you to be rightly reconciled to himself, the call on your life this morning from Scripture is to come to know Jesus. That's what you need more than anything else, whether you realize it or not. And I pray that God will burn your heart with that truth if you don't know Him. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and God has given you peace and reconciliation with Himself through the work of Jesus on the cross, then the question for you is, are you believing that? Are are you living in a way that exemplifies the fact that Christ is what you need most of all? Or are there idols and functional saviors in your life that you are looking to to give you something that you will never find outside of a relationship with Christ? As I stand on this stage this morning, if there's anything I could ever say that's of eternal importance, it's that, right? Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you to be reconciled to Himself through the work that He did on the cross, He wants you to be rightly reconciled to God. If you don't know Him, the call on your life is to know Him. If you do know Him, the call on your life is to continue to believe, to continue to put your faith in the fact that Christ is where you come, to have all of your needs met, whether you even realize what those needs are or not. A lot of times when we focus on what we think is our greatest need, we're, we're missing the point. We're missing the point. At least the guy in the story knew to come to Jesus, even if he didn't know what his greatest need was. And that's the call on our life this morning—to come to Jesus. So over the next few minutes, we're going to enter into a time of response. It's a time for you to respond to what God has spoken. Hopefully, to your hearts and minds this morning. We're going to proceed in a time of response uh, in, in a few different ways, and. Just a few moments, the band will come back up here. They will continue to lead us in some songs and give us an opportunity to respond in worship through singing if that's the way we need to respond. Um, As the band comes to lead us, uh, a few other things will be going on. You have the opportunity to sit right where you are and pray and reflect upon what God is doing in your heart and life. If you need to talk about something, If you need to understand more about what it means to be forgiven and to be rightly reconciled with God, grab somebody that you came here with, grab me, I'll be in the back. Let's talk about it. It gives us an opportunity to respond, to pray, to reflect upon what we've heard. During this time, we have the opportunity to continue to worship by giving. There's a basket in the back where uh, we can give as an act of worship um, to... uh, to continue God's work here on earth through this church, through Redemption Church. Uh, And during this time as well, we'll celebrate communion. The reason we celebrate communion every Sunday here at Redemption is to remind us of Christ's work on the cross on our behalf and to proclaim to one another that we believe it. So if God gives you the freedom to come and take communion, recognize that through taking communion, you're saying, I believe the gospel and I am proclaiming to everyone around me that I believe it through the very act of walking to the front and tearing off some bread and dipping it in the wine or juice. This is what Jesus had to say to His disciples. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, take, eat, this is My body. And He took a cup and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So as we begin this time of response and worship, let me, let me pray. Holy Father, thank you for the reminder from your word this morning that even though we may not have the slightest hint of what our greatest, need is that our greatest needs can be met in You. God, thank You, Jesus, that through Jesus, You've provided us a way to be rightly reconciled to You. And God, even as we respond and reflect and pray and take communion and give and sing and whatever it is that we're going to do during this time, God, I pray that You would continue to draw us to Yourself, that You would continue to draw us to Christ as Christ has been lifted high, that You would draw us to You. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be rightly reconciled to you. We thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.